This is the How to Become a Career Coach podcast, the largest podcast for up-and-coming career coaches in the world, and is dedicated to helping people that are in the early stages of becoming a career coach. I'm your host, Philip Mianko, and in this show, we bring practical advice based on real experiences, and we share actual stories of people that are current career coaches. So, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. This is your host, Philip Mianko, and this episode kicks off our very brand new season four. <laughs> and, you know, we wanted to start off by bringing back somebody a little bit familiar. And I think you might have heard of him before if you've been listening to the podcast or if you're familiar with Happen to Your Career at all. So, in fact, my guest today, the founder and CEO of Happen to Your Career, Scott Anthony Barlow. Now, in this conversation, we break down a lot of the behind the scenes happenings, using that word very intentionally, but behind the scenes happenings of Happened Your Career, but more so the early days for Scott of starting this business, going full time, but more so the changes and the, and the mindsets he's had to take for himself, his family, and the entire team of running a successful coaching business, but really a successful business. So in this podcast, you'll learn the strategies and the techniques and the tools that he used in creating Happen to Your Career, but actually, you'll also hear some new things that I don't think he's actually shared before in any podcast or really in any of our stuff. And in fact, it's new things that I've learned too. So enjoy the chat. And without further ado, Scott, thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me back. This is Super weird, super fun, super wow. exciting for me because it wasn't that long ago where I was in the host seat and now this is pretty amazing because I get to come back and you have done a phenomenal job as host over the last couple of seasons and I know what's in store coming up here over the next season four and all the episodes. So I'm just excited that you've asked me to come back and I'm happy to share the journey wherever it makes sense to go here. You know, it must feel really weird too, because I imagine it's like you kind of moved out of this house, but then now I'm living in it and you're like, okay, so I'm back in this house that I used to be and like, that's where all my stuff was. And now we're going to talk about it, I guess. So I bet that first, that's probably the weird feeling, but also it's probably weird that, and maybe for our listeners too. And I think before we hit the record button, we were talking about really what are the biggest things that we can impart to our listeners about happening your career, the first stage of opening up coaching business, but even how that's evolved to where we see it now. I bet it's also weird to be talking about your company and the company that created this podcast and our Happen Your Career podcast on the podcast itself. So kind of inception the whole way around. <laughs> but... More on that note, I'm super curious and super curious for our listeners, how thinking about the business from day one to now, seven years later, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong on, on all those, those dates, but for you, how has the business changed and how have you changed as an entrepreneur through that whole journey and just your mindset along the way? That is a very detailed story. However, I, what I want to try and do is share 
what are probably the most relevant parts yeah. here. Let's break those apart here one at a time. When we started way back when, I used the word we, however, really it was me and a friend who, not so coincidentally, you got to meet recently. His name was Mark Sievercrop. And I had put together, I'd come back from this conference, decided with my wife, Alyssa, that I wanted to open my own business again. This is not my first business, but it's something I always knew I'd come back to in owning another business. And at the time when I made that decision with Alyssa, I really wasn't sure what that was going to look like because we were on the VP track. I was working for an organization that was, I was having a ton of fun. It was ultimately one of my, one of my dream jobs and they were courting me to move into a VP type of role within you know, HR and organizational development and areas like that. And we had just come back from one of those trips to Omaha, Nebraska. And we were, pl- we were literally planning like where to build a house in Omaha, Nebraska. We just visited churches, the whole works. And then we found ourselves in conversation, a house that we, we used to live in now. We are standing over the, the kitchen island and realized, had this sort of not really aha moment, but kind of oh crap moment that we just realized that we were going to move to Omaha, Nebraska so that I could become a VP and maybe earn a little bit more money, maybe have a huge boost of resume experience, those types of things, only to come back and live in Moses Lake, Washington, which was where we lived at the time and where we really wanted to be. And it was at that moment where we stood there and we were like, wait a minute, hold on. This doesn't make any sense. Why are we doing this? We're already where we want to be. And I know that the long term is I really want to start another business, own another business. And at that point, it was like, oh my goodness, well, we have to do this. What's that going to look like? So about a year later, Happened to Your Career was born, started out as a blog. And then Mark Sievercrop, who you got to meet, came on board to help launch it as a, as a project. We were having a ton of fun working together. It turned into what... Uh, we now know has happened to career the coaching business. Mark left shortly after that, and it became me, a solo, running this coaching business to help people take control of their careers. So that's that's where it began from. <laughs> it was it was always my intention that I wanted this to be a collaborative effort. That's just very much how I work. I know you know that. Philip, you know, you just flew up here not that long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. so that we could collaborate on a project that we're working on within Happened to Your Career. However, that was always the goal, always the vision, always what made work great for me is to be able to be surrounded and interact by other smart, intelligent, excited, passionate people that are having fun with the work that they're doing. So... <laughs> It wasn't until much, much later we really started to add a team. And I think that's one of the major differences from the beginning. It was myself. I had hired a very, 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 very part-time podcast editor when it started the podcast. And I was coaching people on my own. Alyssa was helping out a little bit where, where I could drag her into it. And that was it. That was where it started. That was the intent. And it took about two years, really, to go from that to the point where I started bringing on other people, first on a part-time basis, and then about uh, 
third year, fourth year in mm-hmm. on a much more full-time basis, three-quarter time to full-time basis. Uh, we added our first, first full-time person. I think it was about four years into the business. Now we have, now much, much later, we have 10 people on the team overall in various capacities. And it's a drastic difference. It's a difference in the amount that we can get done on any given day. It is a difference in the size of the problems and challenges we have compared to the beginning where sort of the biggest problem or challenge that I might have had would have been a, a customer who was unhappy with their coaching. I can't even think of an example necessarily, but you know, there was one, one time where I had a client who was, had different expectations than in the rate that we were moving through the coaching process. We'll call it that. And that, that was like the largest problem that I had for all intents and purposes, other than making sure that it, it, was, it was profitable. And then later on, you start to add people to that. You add processes, you add it. Now we have products. Uh, we actually have quite a few different products. We have opened and closed products and product lines over the years. And it's been quite an evolution. So I'm going to pause there for a second because there's a pretty significant amount of differences for what we look like now, how we function now mm-hmm. as an organization compared to when it was essentially me and a computer and coaching over Skype way back when. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super curious because I want to dive into there because I think for you know, a lot of the coaches that I speak to, but very much a lot of the, the listeners to this very podcast, I imagine a lot of them are wanting to get to that stage or join a team like ours or a coaching organization like ours. So I'm very interested in that, that very middle period. And I know when we spoke about helping people open up their own coaching businesses, even our live event in Orlando last year, we did a live event in Orlando helping coaches for their first 90 days and getting them their clients. What we found, and I remember one of the biggest things from that event was, you know, really in those early days, it was about being able to make really good decisions. We both find the same thing that there's so many decisions out there that we can be swayed in either way. And I'm so interested in that, that middle period for you. I think about it as the training time. I think about it like, you know, when Rocky is like going up the stairs and doing all this stuff. <laughs> if you want to think of yourself as Rocky. Exactly. Yeah. And movies always gloss over those parts. It always makes me kind of angry because I want to, that's the part I'm so interested in and for our listeners. So the question is, or I guess the question to you is in the early days when we part of happened to career, but more so when you were thinking about adding on a team or really growing the business, what would you say were some of those major decisions looking back now that you had to make at the time? And what do you think helped in making those decisions at the time? When I first started this business, coaching had been there the entire time. I'll say that first. Coaching has always been there. Mm -hmm. That's something that's a huge part of my background. I've been a coach for over 20 years at this point. It's been there. (laughs) Who I'm coaching and what I'm coaching them on and how I'm helping has changed then the names and faces and you know, companies and organizations and everything have changed drastically. However, coaching has always been there. And that was certainly the case at the beginning stages. However, I thought this was going to become a course business, a education and training business. That is what I thought way back in the early stages. In fact, 
when Mark and I were working together, Mark, who helped out at the very beginning when it was still just a project and an idea, and it really wasn't anything in reality other than a you know, teeny tiny blog po- or a teeny tiny blog on the internet somewhere, we actually developed a series of small courses that had to do with each stage of your career and anything you might need in order to progress in your career. And we don't sell those anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've actually long since stopped. We've you know, shut that down. It does not meet anywhere close to what our current content standards are. That's what I thought we were going to turn into. And that was the initial direction for the organization. As we started doing that, and as we got far, far better at creating training and courses and education that's really very useful, realized that one of the things that was helping more so than anything else was coaching. It was that one-to-one interaction where another live human being who was trained as a coach could help you through and guide you through, you know, either by asking really amazing questions or shifting gears and shifting roles and, and helping provide direction and guidance as it relates to your career problems, your career journey. And at the same time, I was also discovering that almost every single email or tweet or message on on social media or whatever it was that we were getting early on had to do with changing careers and figuring out and finding what created a great next step and beyond for whoever it was that was asking for their career. So after that happened 20 or 40 or 50 or 75 times, it finally had hit me over the head enough that it's like, oh my goodness, this is what people are coming to us for. This is what we need to figure out how to help them even better. And so it started really paying attention to that. And that actually helped guide the evolution to the point where it made the decision to shut down a lot of those courses and really focus very heavily on coaching. Now, I'm really, really glad that that happened for a variety of different reasons. One, coaching overall has been such a higher impact. It's been such a higher impact compared to courses. We can influence the results a lot better and how quickly people are moving through these really challenging problems like figuring out what's right for me as a next step for my career and not just right now, but even beyond that. And you know, real things like we've helped quite a few people who have had just really large challenges like harassment or even experienced uh, racism at work or a bunch of other types of inequity. We've, ex- we've ha- had the pleasure, I should say, and the honor of helping people through these really very challenging problems that are stopping them or hindering them from living their fullest, not just life, but, but career that goes along with it. Okay. Here's the thing though. A lot of people don't realize that when we're talking about building a, a business, especially a coaching business of any kind, regardless of whether you're layering in co- other things beyond coaching, like speaking or courses or other types of programs or products or whatever it might be, the thing that stops more people than anything else is decision-making. And I think that's part of what you were alluding to. So some of those mm-hmm. early decisions that I made were to shut down as quickly as possible, those things that were not working as best as possible. Here's what I mean by that. I'll give you a couple examples. Early on, it was that we literally had a membership site where we had all of those mini courses. We, day one, when we launched it, we 
it had a bunch of people that had you know, signed up, paid us money, all kinds of things like that. And we realized that that wasn't helping in the way that, that we wanted to. And it wasn't as profitable as what we wanted to do. So those two things combined, we're like, hey, this is, you know, it's working okay, but it's really not working as well as coaching. It's really not working as well as the other services that we're offering. You know, we're getting all these results you know, on a fairly grand, fairly rapid scale as we're doing coaching and it's more profitable. And then on the other side, it's working, but not enough. So eliminating those things that were not working as well as we wanted, even though technically they were still profitable, they're still working. There's all kinds of different reasons that make a case for continuing to move on down that path. Another more recent example, as the business grew, we started doing what's called partnership marketing or affiliate marketing, where I might go and I make an appearance on someone else's podcast, or I might write a blog post for an organization like, actually, we did this with The Muse. A lot of people are probably pretty familiar with, with The Muse. Yeah, we did that and we experimented with them and we were one of their first affiliate partners and they would guide people back to our site. And for those people that we worked with, we would pay them a percentage of what our, what our revenue was. So that's, that's how affiliate marketing would work. So we were building lots of different relationships. And then there was some point along the way, this is probably about four-ish years ago, I want to say, realized that, you know what, as we're looking at who we're working with, and as we're looking at the, the people that we get the opportunity to help, the ones that we enjoyed the most, the ones that were the most profitable for us as a business, the ones that we just had the least amount of problems and challenges and we felt strongly were the best fit. And by best fit, I mean that we were uniquely positioned to help them the best and they were enjoying it the most too. And we had the best recommendations and testimonials and everything else. They were all coming from one place. And we had a variety of different places where we were getting traffic. We had some types of advertising. We had affiliate marketing. We had... Uh, several other things going on. But we also had the podcast, the Happen to Your Career podcast. And we realized that over 80% of the people that we were loving working with and having all those other great experiences with were coming from the podcast. And for the amount of money that we were putting into producing the podcast versus the amount of money that we were putting into, say, the affiliate program, it was literally a thousand times more profitable not a joke, like when we, when we got down to you know, net profit. So even though affiliate marketing was working, even though actually it was a ton of fun because I loved building relationships, I loved flying to New York and getting to meet a bunch of other different people. That's how I met Lauren from Gert Contessa. That's how I met folks at The Ladders. That's how I met quite a few other organizations. The Muse, that's how we started you know, getting to know the people on the Muse team. Loved that, but it really wasn't the best way for us to proceed forward. So even though it was profitable, we cut it. And that was a hard, hard, hard decision to do. We actually had a full-time person on our team who would, that's what they were responsible for. And it really just did not make sense any longer for, for the business. That's one example of how we've changed over time. But it's also, mm. I know you know this, Philip, but it's embedded into our values. We, <laughs> we actually call this value giving Pareto a hug. <laughs> 
which if you haven't heard of Pareto, he's an Italian guy who observed that in the wild, in all kinds of different places, everywhere that you look, you see the 80-20 principle. And that's what he pioneered in many different areas. You know, 20% of the efforts produce 80% of the results. And he saw when he was raising peas, like snap peas in a, in a garden, he saw that 20% of the pea pods were producing 80% of the peas. And we see the same thing all over the place. Interestingly enough, that was strangely similar for us too. 80% of the people that we were loving working with came from the podcast. So we stopped doing all of those other pieces. For our listeners, I want to make sure I pause and have a couple of things that you mentioned, but make sure that they understand a couple of the things. And after working with you, Scott, over almost two years, I know all these things instinctively and we talk about them all the time. But just for our listeners, there's a couple of things that you mentioned that are very important, very impactful, but one have allowed you to create this business that we have 10 people have gotten to this point. And I think one of them that you mentioned there is prioritizing coaching. And I think really what it came down to is the level of impact and the results that allowed you to have. But the thing that I know about Scott that maybe our listeners might not know is that that's the part that also Scott enjoys really the most. So also prioritizing those biggest pieces too. And I think something that comes underneath all of those things too. And the way I think about it is like, I always think of myself, I don't know if our listeners or if you're familiar with the show Shark Tank, I'm sure many people are, but I always think of myself walking onto Shark Tank. And then I think about Mr. Wonderful pointing to me and do you know your numbers? Do you know where your people are coming from? And I think one thing that Scott does very, very well is knowing the numbers, but you mentioned, hey, here's where 80% of our people came from. And the ability to know that early on, but have systems and tools along the way from year one, all the way up to where we are now and knowing from, from an aspect of where people are coming from, about budget profits coming from certain spots, but that business mindset is very important from day one, all the way to where you are now, and even from a strategy standpoint too. So I'm curious, as this transition's been going on from the early stages to now, how yeah. much time would you say you spent on marketing versus coaching versus other activities in the maybe let's say year one or early days? And Ooh, then that's a great question. And then how has that changed to now? Let me think about that for just a second. I think oh. in year one, it was probably a huge percentage marketing, huge percentage marketing, partially because I thought we were going to become a business that did training and education and courses. And we do that now. And we're actually really, really good at that now because of our past history and some of you know, my experience and other, other people on the team's experiences that they brought in from other organizations. However, it's not the core of, of what we do. And in year one, I thought that I would need to build a huge audience. That was something that I, I didn't realize is just not needed for all intents and purposes. And I thought that we were going to need to you know, have 100,000 plus people, 200,000 people, you know, half a million people on an email list or on social media or any number of other places that were following me or following the company. And that was what was going to lead us to profitability, to the, the golden road or whatever is good at the time. I really wanted to make the transition to be able to do this type of work full time. That was one of my initial goals was be able to do that so I could help people in that way that I loved. And it was early on, probably over 90%. I was getting up from 
And this is not something that everybody has to do necessarily, but it worked for me really well because I could find the time in the morning, but I was getting up at 3.55 a.m. and working till about 7.30 every, every single morning during the weekdays. And then at some point in year two, as we move from year one to year two, my wife and I decided, hey, this is really important for both of us. And I'm going to work for six to eight hours every single Saturday in order to help expedite the process as well. So I was probably, I was probably putting in, you know, 35 to 45 ish hours a week. Let me add that up here really quick. Almost 4 a.m. to And this is on top of your, your nine to five job. Is that correct? On top of my nine to five job. Yep. Yeah. And some days I'd work, sometimes on Saturday, I would work longer, like closer to 10 hours because I'd get up extra early to be able to do it too. So I guess that's probably someplace between 20, what, 24? four and 30-ish hours a week on top of regular, you know, 50-hour-a-week job or so. So I wasn't sleeping a lot, which was totally okay. (laughs) However, out of that time, I was probably only coaching a few hours a week, like three to four hours a week-ish, something along those lines. I don't think I ever looked at it uh, that way before. So part of that was because a lot of my emphasis was, was building on the marketing infrastructure for the business. And then part of that was, I thought I was going to build a different type of business than what it is today. And I think that's such an interesting point because we can anticipate what we think it might be. And then it changes over time based on a lot of stuff that we think we might know and things we don't know, we don't know yet. And on that note, I knew we've talked about that previously before, but one of the questions I'd love to ask in a couple of different ways is what were the biggest challenges for you in creating your own coaching business? Or even though you just mentioned this, but what are the things you had to sacrifice? And I think that word is important. And we mentioned sleep is one of those things, but what are things you had to sacrifice in owning and creating your own coaching business? I love this question. You had told me you had started asking this exact question of Mm -hmm. some people. I still wasn't totally prepared for it. What are the... (laughs) I mean, I know what I had to sacrifice. It was a lot. And a lot of things I just didn't really care about. So those were the easy things. Mm -hmm. I think the hardest thing for me to sacrifice though, was those Saturdays I would be in my office. I would be literally watching my kids play in the yard, not with me. (laughs) And that by far was not only seriously FOMO inducing, but it was difficult to tell myself that the reason I'm sacrificing this time now is for not just myself, but for them later on too. At this point, I get to spend huge amounts of time with my kids. I get to, because one of my goals in building this, this business, quite honestly, was to allow me to be able to not just be there for the big things for my kids, but also be around for the small things. And now like in between meetings, multiple points during the day, I get to walk out, I get to interact with my kids, get to have conversations with them, get to involve them in even pieces of the business sometimes. And that was something that was really, really important for me. Consequently, it was also really incredibly difficult for me to say no to spending time with them early on in order to spend so much more time with them later on. And there were many points through the process where I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel like I'm missing out on so much. Like, is this, is this even going to work out? Like, is this going to be worth it? Because the plan that my wife and I had spent, we had probably been building the business for about a year when we start to really firm up that plan where I was going to spend more time now not with them in order to spend much, much more time 
with them later on. That was the plan. But in the midst of it, you sort of feel like, oh, wow, is this going to work out? And fortunately, because my wife is amazing and been able to meet really amazing people like you, Philip, and you know, bring you onto the team along the way. And it's worked out very, very well. But it was something that was definitely very, very hard in the moment. The other thing I had to sacrifice that I think a lot of times doesn't get talked about. This is going to sound weird, but go with me for a second. I had to sacrifice the way that I looked at a lot of different things in life. And I had to dispense with it. And I had to be okay with that. Part of that meant I had to identity shift quite a bit. This is something we've seen over and over again. I know that you and I have had many conversations about it behind the scenes, this weird identity shift that happens as people are building a business, any kind, but previously had worked as maybe an executive in a you know, Fortune 500, or maybe they had been a psychologist previously, or like we've worked with some rocket scientists and you know, lots of people in all kinds of different professions, right? I'm a human resource professional and I've done that and, uh, for many years. And then moving and shifting into a business, but especially coaching and thinking about yourself in a new and different way. That is especially challenging, but is also something that I had to give up and sacrifice the idea of being so well-regarded in the HR circles that I, I ran. Like I had established myself very well there. I had lots of connections, lots of friends, lots of people that I just really enjoyed and respected that thought of me a certain way. And the idea of giving that up, as nutty as that sounds, felt <laughs> really challenging. And at first it was really hard to the point where I didn't want to talk about myself as a career coach. It felt odd for me when it would come up at a, at a friend's house it, and people who knew me in a certain way. That felt really weird. That's exactly the place where it shouldn't have felt really weird because those are some of the most supportive people that are like, oh yeah, that's awesome. That's amazing. But for some reason, that was the place where it felt the oddest and the most uncomfortable. That is something that it took probably a full 18 months to really begin to reconcile with. And I don't think that that is talked about a lot. I know maybe we've mentioned it once or twice on this podcast somewhere along the way, mm -hmm. but that really is a case of, of sacrifice. And I think the really cool thing that came out of it is I started thinking about myself in ways that are much more healthy too, not just as a career coach, because that's what I thought I was going to move as, but instead starting to think about myself as a human being that really likes to explore and uh, you know, somebody who can figure things out you know, if I get into a tight spot. And I'd always had this, you know, one of the reasons I became really, really great at career changes was because I, was getting, I got bored really easy. And there were actually two different cases, one where I actually got fired and another one where I was dangerously close to being fired because I would get so bored. Like I could not even, I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could force myself to even do the work because that's how not attached to it uh, I was because I would go in, I'd do a huge, wonderful job and they'd look at me as a high performer and then I'd get bored and then I would have to, I'd be forced to career change. So I became really, really good at that uh -huh. because I was sort of forced to have that happen as a byproduct of myself getting bored and realizing that like I can either keep going down this route or I can make a change and get paid more and have more fun someplace else. And I had this hang up for myself along the way where it's like, I'm not the guy who sticks with anything. 
And as I began building this company into you know, year two and year three, where I'd normally get bored, I, I had to give up my identity in that, this case, a really positive way and begin to replace it out with not just I'm a career coach, but I'm the type of person who can persist through things. I'm the type of person who will figure it out and replace my identity with something that is far, far, far more healthy than getting attached to things that can be ripped away at any given moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And thanks for sharing because I knew bits of that, but I don't think I knew everything. So I think that's incredibly invaluable for our listeners because you know many times that we've talked about it, I've talked about it from the very somewhat surface level aspect of the aspect of calling yourself a coach and how vulnerable it is. I think getting even more down to it too is that for a lot of people that we talk to, you're also stepping into the entrepreneurship route. When I'm talking to people about hopping your career in general about what we do, I tell them that you know we're a business who we help people get really clear on what they want both in their life and their career and ultimately make the behavior changes to that. And I think part of behavior change in there are those mindset changes. And both Scott and myself, we come from entrepreneurial backgrounds. Scott started multiple businesses. I grew up in a family business and had my own business too. So parts of those things, you know, we were more comfortable with, but sometimes both we work with coaches where this is the first business that they're opening to. So I think it's multiple aspects of you know things we had to sacrifice, the very tangible things, time, material possessions, those types of things. We all know that. But there are the not talked about even deeper things about sense of belonging, sense of security, sense of all these types of... I know for me, I like to get to points where what I know what I'm doing and everybody else knows that I know what I'm doing. And very much when you shift (laughs) to the entrepreneur route, you operate mostly on, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm giving it the best guess that I have based on what I know and based on my gut feeling and what I believe to be right. And for me, that was one of the biggest sacrifices that I've had to make in that shift from what I knew to be true about who Philip was and what he does and and what I continue to do to really what's going to be the best for me now and the future and how can I best serve the person that I'm talking to right now. And I'm thinking about all of those stages and really that those mindsets that you were in at the time, if you had to go back and and we maybe have asked this question before, but thinking of it in this lens and from this chat, if you had to go back to the very early stages, year one, or maybe the first six months and starting your business and getting into career coaching instead of the, you know, the years that, that we had now. And for all intents and purposes, we have lots of content. We have a program that we discuss about this, but right from your advice and your experience, what would you have done differently if you had to go back knowing what you know now? I would focus on, I'm chuckling because this is, you're right, this is something we teach now. We teach it in our professional career coach training. You mentioned live event we did in Orlando, Florida last year, and we taught it there too. But we now focus really heavily on having conversations. I know that sounds uber simplistic. It sounds ridiculously simplistic. But if you think about it, well, let's compare it to like a, a getting a job offer. Mm-hmm. That's a comparison we can use for a second. The shortest route to getting a job offer is in the thing that must happen prior to having a job offer, at least a job offer that you want, is going to be an interview, some type of meeting, some type of interaction that serves as an interview. Without that, 
it's pretty unlikely that you're going to get an offer, pretty unlikely you're going to get hired, pretty unlikely, like all the other things are unlikely to happen. And we put so much emphasis on like your resume and the application process and the ATS and all kinds of other things. But really, if you boil it down to what's the most simplistic thing that must happen every single time, it's not the resume. It's not the, you know, getting the perfect thing through the ATS. It's not any of that other stuff. It's, can you have a interview like conversation where that person on the other end can make a decision that they want to work with you. That's it. Like that is the most important thing. And as it turns out in coaching and coaching businesses, the same thing is true there. You must have a conversation. Coaching is so personal that people are unlikely to want to work with you without having some kind of conversational interaction with you. That is the thing that makes everything else possible. So early on in the first six months, I was not focused on that. I was focused on how can we launch the business in the grandiose way? We even did like a Indiegogo, which is similar to Kickstarter. We did a campaign like that. And I had somebody who I consider to be a mentor tell me that, hey, that's a waste of time. And you should just focus on going and helping people and getting more clients and coaching. And I ignored him. Actually, that's not true. I didn't really ignore him. I felt like we were too far in because we were well into that campaign and everything. I felt like I shouldn't, couldn't shut it down at that point. And at the end of the day, he was right. And I should have just focused my time on having conversations. I want to go back though to one thing that you said. I've heard you mm -hmm. use the word entrepreneur and entrepreneurial a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneur, there's a variety of definitions out there, but for all intents and purposes, it literally means the bearer of risk. And for that reason, I do not identify. I know there's a huge entrepreneur, entrepreneurial craze and entrepreneur craze and everybody wants to be an entrepreneur and everything, but I do not identify with entrepreneur, even though I've had very literally thousands of people say, oh, you're a regular entrepreneur. I don't identify with it because when I have started any of my businesses, I did not do so from a place of risk. And I think it is a huge mistake to start from a place of risk. Are there risks? Yeah, absolutely. Like, can you take out all the risks? No, there's all kinds of risks. Like you're going to put in time, you're going to put in effort. And in some ways, once you make that decision, like you're not going to get that time or effort back. However, from many other types of risk that usually people are thinking, they're like, when do I make the leap? And how do I make... Those are the types of questions that pop into people's minds. And I think that is not a healthy way to look at it. There is a small percentage of the population and that gets very well covered in those types of stories that were more on the overnight success where they put it all on the line and they absolutely had to make it work. However, that is a very, very, very infinitesimal portion of the population. And yes, it makes a sensational story, but all of the people that I know that are running really, really healthy coaching businesses of any kind, even if they have other types of streams of income, if they do speaking, if they do yeah, many other things besides coaching, maybe they do consulting too. The ones that are healthy and profitable are not taking substantial risks and they get to grow faster in most cases versus putting everything on the line. Instead, the ones, and this is true for the percentage of people that we've helped too, that are not you know, making the leap. We've helped a small percentage of people that it was right for them to pursue a coaching business without having any other type of income. And that is not the norm. Normally, we help people build a plan 
that is going to provide them income or other things that they need, not even just income, but sometimes it's, you know, it was collaboration for me. We've got a lot of people that are like, if I am out there on my own, just trying to piece this together, like not having that collaboration, that's going to be terrible for me. Maybe the business is successful, but that's going to be terrible for me. So thinking about all of those pieces and systematically eliminating the risk to where you can build a healthy business, it actually causes you to make better decisions on the most important decisions. And I know at the beginning of this, we were talking a little bit about the thing that stops people is having to make massive amounts of decisions. So first of all, inside our program, we talk about, or actually all of our programs, we talk a lot about how can you eliminate some of the decision-making to the most important decisions. And when you are making those most important decisions, if you can set yourself up in an environment that is a lot less risky, you're going to make healthier decisions. So that would be my advice to everyone who listens to this is think about how you can eliminate much of the risk, either by continuing your full-time job. That's what I did. doesn't necessarily mean that's what is right for everyone, but I continued my full-time job for three years until we had X amount of savings in the bank, until I replaced essentially very nearly 100% of my income from the business before I made the shift to full-time. In that case, it wasn't a risk at all. It wasn't, you know, if you're looking at the inside of it, yes, it took three years to do that, but it eliminated very nearly all of that risk. In that way, it wasn't very entrepreneurial at all. It was running a really profitable, healthy, small business. Often I talk about in this podcast, there are a lot of mic drop types of moments. And I feel like that was one of them. And I feel like that was one of the the mindset changes, but very much on how do you think about yourself and how do you think about opening up or starting a coaching business and the word risk. And I, it's something that both Scott and myself hear all the time when we're talking with people, but wrapping things up and wanted to say thank you very much for coming back to the house of how to become a career coach podcast that you knew and remember, but more so wanted to say thank you very much for for bringing these insights to our listeners, but even more of behind the scenes and even in the early days, I'd learned a whole bunch of things that I didn't know about you. But I think one of the biggest things that our listeners can take away from this conversation today, or at least one of the things I've taken away from working for with you for Scott for, you know, like we were mentioning for almost two years, is that very much of what the things I've picked up is that from a strategic standpoint, and it's one of your strengths, and even thinking in the future, is that you have a very, very good, deep sense about the strategies that are going to work and the right things to do for yourself, for your family, and even for the business and for all of us. And I think that's allowed for us to grow as a business and be able to earn the opportunity to help and serve so many people, but to allow for myself to come and host this podcast, but be a member of this team too. So I think from anything that anybody can pick up today is this very grounded sense of what it means to be a coach, to be a business owner, what it really takes from a strategy standpoint to learn to grow all these types of things and really make the best decisions and prioritize what matters. And I think you coming on this podcast, sharing that today is incredibly impactful, but I also want to say thank you for doing that too. Thank you. Thank you for asking, first of all, and thank you for hosting the podcast and thank you for being on the team and and also thank you for the kind words. I appreciate all of them. Yeah, of course. Now, usually I ask this for everybody who comes onto our podcast yeah. and especially the last point, but yeah. just in case, 
where can people find you? How can people get in contact with Scott Anthony Barlow? And yeah, how can people get in contact with you? Great question. This is, I suppose, the weird part. <laughs> That's usually a question <laughs> yeah, that this I is ask the weird part right now. <laughs> when I'm hosting. However, to be clear, you know, some of the best ways to get in contact with me if you are interested in becoming a career coach or you already are a career coach and you want to grow your business, then absolutely you can go to becomeacareercoach.com or go to happentoyourcareer.com and you can click on the aspiring career coach and growing career coach business links at the very bottom in the footer. And it will show you all of the different types of training, support, coaching that we offer to help you grow your business and help you do what makes sense for you. I talked a lot about you know, what I was after and some of my goals in building the business and how I wanted to help others. However, everybody has different goals and whatever that looks like for you, we'd love to support you. So go to happenyourcareer.com, scroll to the bottom and you can click on all the links and many of the other resources. Like we have an ultimate guide to becoming a career coach. We have the how to become a career coach book as well that you can purchase, which is just about to release in audio format sometime soon too. And then we have a variety of other resources too. And you can always connect with me on LinkedIn is another great place to interact with me as well. And those are, those are our best places. Home base though, happen to your career.com. Thank you, Philip. Of course. Well, you heard it here, folks. Happen to your career.com, but become a career coach.com. So, on that note, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. For more information, check out becomeacareercoach.com, where you can find information on this podcast, our programs, books, and endless content on, well, how to become a career coach. Also, don't be shy. If you have any questions or kind words, we'd love to hear from you. And you can reach me directly at philip at happentoyourcareer.com. And that's Philip with two L's. So thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.